Screw it, screw it, we're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Welcome to Screw It, we're just going to talk about Spider-Man. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Hines. And I'm your other host, Will Hines. Yeah, and we are uh, two brothers who host a podcast where we talk about the original Spider-Man comics, the ones by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. Yeah, we're doing one episode per issue through their original run. Uh, This episode we are doing issue number 23. Yeah, it's a cover date April 1965. And uh, we have a guest this episode, Kevin. Yeah, this is a very exciting episode. You just you downloaded the right episode. If you picked an episode at random, uh, you lucked out, and also this is not representative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, so, Kevin, why don't you introduce our guest? Yeah, so our guest today is Chip Zartsky, uh, and he is the current writer of Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man. He's also writing Marvel 2-in-1. He's the artist and co, I think, co-plotter writer of Sex Criminals, uh, just co-creator for sure. He's done other books like Howard the Duck, and I think he did a great run on Jughead. So he's done a lot of stuff, and we're very excited to talk to him. Hello, Chip. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Am I correct that you sort of help write uh, Sex Criminals? Um, or no? It kind of. Like, it's uh, because it's our own book between me and Matt Fraction. Uh, I, like, talk through story with him. Like, mm-hmm. we bounce ideas off each other. But ultimately, the scripting is his. Okay. Right. Uh, I, I tend to mostly supply kind of background jokes in terms of the writing. <laughs> that's, uh, that's my specialty. Great. Um, um, and that's a great book, Sex Criminals. Uh, thanks. Being put up by Image is we, great. Uh, this really, podcast does not approve the morality of that, I should say. Like, we are, yeah. we well, looked in our nose. Sex positive podcast. I Absolutely t- I not. Sex positive. No, we are sex repressive. We are we yeah. are against emotions of any kind. We like relationships right. where Peter Parker seems to go on very chaste dates. <laughs> uh, and I don't know if he's ever kissed uh, anyone but Aunt May maybe on the cheek. And that's how it should be. Well, I won't I won't have it in my run. That's for sure. (laughs) Um, And then was your first Marvel series Howard the Duck? Yeah. Yeah, I did a uh, before that I did like a two page kind of gag strip that I wrote and drew for an anthology and they seemed to like it well enough. And the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movie came out and Howard the Duck had a cameo. And yeah. that meant comic. Yeah, totally. Uh, and how did you uh, so you got put on basically a, a companion series to the Amazing Spider-Man when they hadn't had a companion series in forever? Yeah. Um, yeah. How did you pull that off? Um, well, I went from uh, Howard the Duck to Star-Lord. Oh, right. I forgot about Star-Lord. Just a short run. It was like six issues. And uh, during that period, Marvel was offering me gigs, mm-hmm. um, but I, I kept turning them down. And mostly because drawing sex criminals is a full-time job. Like, that's my 40-hour-a-week sure. thing. Um, but I suspect that um, Marvel's not used to people turning down jobs. And so I, <laughs> I, I think on there, and they're just like, this guy's got to have something if he's turning yeah. us down. Yeah. And so eventually they, they offered me um, the Spider-Man title and uh i i just said yes because yeah there's no way i could say no to that that's great they were, they were they were right they're like well no one's he might be dumb enough to turn us down in general but he's not going to be dumb enough to turn this down and they were right i, I almost did like it was yeah. actually a debate like i said you know i'll get back to you yeah um, Ugh, they made him want you more yeah i know yeah it's totally that uh but yeah i, I think i sat on it for like two days before i said yes because as soon as you as soon as you get the call you're just like well, I don't know if I, if I can do this. And then it's and a then lot of pressure, thinking, right? Like you don't want to take it and then not be able to do a good job or not have the time yeah. to do it right and stuff. Yeah. But then you, you start to think on it and store ideas start to come and you realize that, Oh yeah, I'd be an idiot to turn this down. And the reason we're having you on this episode, uh, is because your storyline and Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man, the second arc, basically, Spider-Man mm-hmm. travels back in time and, and basically during this issue. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to find a spot um, kind of early in his career because I really wanted current Peter Parker to interact with teenage Peter Parker. And uh, Joe Canotas, the artist, who I think you're going to be talking to next week. Yeah, we're trying to, trying to get that together, yeah. Yeah, he's so good at drawing um, teenage Peter Parker. I love it so much. Yes, it was. That, re- it's uh, very cool in in the um, in this run you did the time travel story that when the two Peter Parkers are next to each other, the the obvious differences between yeah. you know adult 
what late twenties, Peter Parker or whatever. And like teenage yeah. Peter, like it's distinctive, but you can tell it's the same person. It's like really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted to make sure he felt like a teenager, like, Oh, this is like a kid that's going out and like fighting guys with guns. Like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't right on any level. Yeah. Like you really kind of wanted that feeling. And, uh, and yeah, so we were trying to figure out where in Spider-Man's original run this could take place. Cause I needed a few things to uh to be happening like green goblin couldn't know who he is yeah um just yet and i needed doc ock in prison so i could have him break out uh yeah and just make sure there weren't kind of confusing extra bits that would get in the way so this is kind of this is kind of the the perfect spot for it yeah i guess that puts you firmly in ditko era because yeah. uh, right away green goblin figures it out yeah. Uh, after Ditko leaves. Is that something yeah. that like, exactly. should, is that something that you like figured out? Like, did you go back and look through the old Ditko issues or did you call up your nerdiest friend and are like, help me out? Like, where is, where can I put this story? No, I mean, the good thing about this, it's actually similar to my Howard the Duck run. Like, because that was a short run of books, like Howard the Duck was like 32 issues, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have everything you need right there. If you, if you haven't gone through and read them all, then you're not doing your job. Yeah. So with, with this, like kind of knowing the original era and how many issues that was like you, I, I basically just read through yeah. just to it's kind a, of like, it's a totally manageable amount. I mean, you yeah, can exactly. read it and do it once a week on a podcast if you really needed to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. So yeah, it was, um, it was kind of fun because you know, you get to revisit the old issues. Like when I got the gig, I didn't go back this far. Yeah. Like I wanted to kind of like keep things current. So sure. I was reading like all of, uh, Dan Slott's run, um, which is an absurd of, amount of comics. It, it, it is, but it's, felt kind of necessary to yeah. get sure. into this but i didn't go back to the original issues because um they're uh, anachronistic like there's things in there that oh yeah <laughs> can't really refer to or use like i'm doing another i'm doing an annual right now that is kind of j jonah jameson through the years yeah and uh and you know you kind of have to go back to these issues again to get to get bits and pieces and yeah it's it's yeah, you're struck by like how, how insane and cruel he is. Like, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, they they were. It's funny to read these original issues. They're so simple compared to modern comics because they don't have the burden, first of all, of just like decades of history behind the characters. And it's it was written at a time where comics there these are adventure stories for 13 year olds they're not expected to be yeah. progressive or aware of certain things you know it's like an in it no. the innocence of cops and civilians in the middle of a gunfight in the street is just like a cool action story they don't have to address isn't this incredibly dangerous uh, isn't this kid traumatizing himself every time he goes out there or something they don't even have to yeah. talk about it it's yeah yeah they, they they shot low like you know in terms of age and i think it was later that like stan Lee and probably the rest of the office realized that this is a hit on campus. Like college kids were reading it. Yeah. And you know, and the other thing about the early issues is the fact that he's aging, like things happen quickly uh, and things are crazy in the issues, but also um, it kind of makes sense because he's actually progressing through time. Yes. He goes like, through high school and college. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, like the book feels more ridiculous now than it did back then because the stuff that's happening now, there's so much of yeah. it and he's not getting older. Yeah. So it's like, Oh yeah, this was a crazy thing that happened on top of this thing on top of that thing. Right. And I'm still 20. Yeah, yeah. Whereas back then at least there was like a progression of time until they realized, Oh, we have to stop this at some point because they didn't expect it to become what it yeah. did. Yeah. As current writers, I guess you have to reference the old stories you want to play with and try to ignore that anything else has ever happened to him yeah it is tricky like anytime i had to bring in a new character or not a new character but like a like an old villain or yeah. something you know the first thing you do is you kind of you read up on yeah. them you go to the marvel wiki like okay what have i missed yeah. chip let me ask you um what do you think it is about uh spider-man in general that makes him so popular slash what do you like about him uh I mean, what is it that makes this guy one of the most popular characters ever? Yeah, I mean, a lot of smarter people than me have kind of thought about this. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, most people conclude that he was the first uh, teenage hero. Yeah. That wasn't a sidekick. Um, and beyond that, uh, the mask really adds an, a, a totally new element of complete anonymity. Like, you don't know the race of him. You don't know any of his features. Like, he could literally be anyone. So I think everyone can pretend to be him more uh, more easily. Oh, yeah. I didn't uh, think about than, that. Than, than, say, Robin, you know? Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, so there's that. I mean, obviously the humor, like the kind of the, the pathos of the, the 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 dumb teen and always screwing up. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. There's there's so much of the character, really. Do you do you were you a fan of his before you got this? <laughs> Be amazing if I wasn't. I know, just like, like you, you hated him. Oh boy, him. I got to read yeah. up on this Spider-Man I character. Find an angle. He bores me yeah. to death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, Spider-Man was the main title. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I read it basically from kind of like beginning of like the Hobgoblin stuff. Yeah. The Roger Stern stuff in the early yeah. 80s. That's when yeah. we were really getting there too. Yeah. Yeah. That's- and like I took that all the way through, you know, to the, um, you know, the McFarlane stuff and Eric Larson. And yeah. uh, I think I, 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 I actually I tapped out around the Clone Saga and it was yeah. less to do with the Clone Saga than it was um, I got to college. Yeah, just like the college, I had no money. Yeah. (laughs) And so that was it. Like, I can't buy comics. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, I got back into it after, like after college, um, I got into it almost like fantasy football. Like (laughs) I followed, I followed comics. I didn't read them, but I would like, you know, see what the storylines were and who the creators were and um, kind of follow the industry. But uh, yeah, you checked it like a sports team. You would like look online, like at Wizards website and be like oh what's what's going on in the world of spider-man yeah there were message boards where like everyone was talking about them or they'd post like pages from the new issues and i'd read those and um and it it took a while to kind of like understand that oh wait no i have i have money again i'm an adult i can purchase these and then i got back into it probably um the straczynski john armita jr stuff yeah i came back in around then too yeah like the the moreland uh issues um, were so beautiful and so big and crazy. Uh, John Romita Jr. just threw the yeah, hell out of them. he was on fire. Yeah. So great. Yeah, and that 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 brought me back in, and I, I followed it after that. What do you, up until uh, now, really? Yeah, I'm, you, I'm you never coming back. You I'll never get reading back. It, Chip now. You, you stop reading right? now. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, I'm done. Yeah. I'm yeah. Done. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think it is about uh, Ditko's art? Uh, you, I mean, you you are an artist. You do drawing. Like when you look at it, are you like this guy is crazy? Or are you like, wow, he's good at this? Or it's like, what an unusual man! Like, what what is it like? Because you just recently read all the old issues in preparation for this arc you just did. Yeah, he's um, the pages are dense. Like that's that's the one thing about them that always strikes me. Like there's always a, a lot happening in each panel, uh, a lot of panels on the page. Like they're super packed. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and he's so unusual. Like his style is so weird. Like nobody draws a, a Ditko face. Yeah. Like, <laughs> nobody. Nobody's ever. Nobody tries to copy Ditko. People have tried to copy Kirby. You know, Ramita Senior. But nobody tr- even attempts to copy Ditko because there's so many weird idiosyncratic ticks of his that uh, you just can't manage it. Yeah, you know, you're yeah, saying somebody asked us. I'm sorry, Will. You go ahead. Uh, somebody asked us who was like who current artists, which current artists were like most similar to Ditko. And I was like stumped because uh, it just doesn't I don't feel like anyone everyone's missing something in a way. Yeah. He's, he's really his own thing. It's, um, yeah, it's impossible to compare him to anyone. Uh, I'm definitely out of my league in terms of trying to even guess, but he looks, there's like a little Chester Gould in his faces, like a little Dick Tracy yeah. sort of distinction. Uh, oh, and yeah, in terms sure. of, especially the bad guys, especially the bad guys. Yeah. They all look yeah. like they could be nicknamed like super brow or like whatever, like crazy, <laughs> crazy <laughs> fingers or something. But, <laughs> and then, um, there's, there's some of his panels that remind me of Dan Klaus. Like there'll be these like one panel close-ups of somebody's face that'll be like very human looking, but a little strange. And it'll remind me of things from like Ghost World or Art School Confidential. Yeah. Any any uh, Dicko illustration of a sweating Peter Parker is very <laughs> Dan Klaus. Yeah, right, right. Or I should say, you know, kind of the, the reverse. Like I'm sure Klaus yeah. uh, uh, studied Dicko a fair amount. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and so your, your series, I was really impressed. Uh, and if anybody's listened to our podcast, hasn't gotten this arc, you'll really enjoy it because there's tons, it's a great story. And there's also tons of sort of like, I guess, Easter eggs or whatever, both visually and in the dialogue about things that are happening in the Ditko era. Like everybody is stunned at how young, all the modern people are stunned at how young Peter is. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson is rethinking everything he ever said now that he knows 
that Spider-Man's just a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that that was, that's the thing that I looked forward to the most with this. Like, cause I revealed, I think it was like issue six of our run. Um, I had Peter reveal that he's Spider-Man to Jameson in the present day. Yeah. And, um, I'd already planned out the time travel arc, but I didn't realize at that point I was going to reveal identity. And so as soon as, as soon as those things both clicked, I was like, Oh, I got to bring Jonah. Cause he's got to, he's got to see the fact that, you know, he was sending, he was sending a spider slayer after a 15. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he, he helped create a robot designed to murder a teenager. Yeah. yeah. Like that's got to weigh heavily on you once you yeah. figure that Two out. Two issues so, ago, he made yeah. the scorpion and he was full on super villain. Oh, yeah. 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 Completely. So, um, it's hard to, it's hard to reconcile the modern character with that version. Yeah. But like that was kind of also part of the fun of the, uh, but you did it, time travel story. But you did a great job of though. I love the two J. Jonah Jamesons talking <laughs> yeah. to each other because they both. Both are still obsessed with the success of their business projects. They're both still pompous in a fun way and full of themselves. Yeah. The The modern one is more nuanced and more like aware of his craziness. Yeah, but they're both still like, this will be great for circulation. Like they're still, they're still the, they're still the <laughs> that, core. I loved it that they both bonded over great for circulation. Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. And then also Joe has is doing so many great visual call outs to Ditko and Ramita iconic scenes. Well, not just that, also like um, animated series, like because of the time period, like, you know, the Marvel timeline, um, because the characters are now frozen in time, there's kind of the yeah. rule of thumb is, you know, it's a sliding timeline. So, you know, 15 years ago is when he became Spider-Man. So where does that yeah. leave you? Like 2002, 2003. And yeah. so um, the, the fashions kind of had to be kind of not the 60s fashions and not current fashions, but somewhere in kind of like 90s, 2000s era. And yeah. I think it was, it was him and uh, the colorist Jordan who based um, based his outfit on the 1990s Spider-Man cartoon. Oh, my! That's one of my favorite. What the spectacular Spider-Man? Yeah, one? yeah, yeah. And I think I think even like the um, the the current Peter when he sees him in high school, he's wearing the outfit from another Spider-Man series. Yes, that came later. Ooh. Like like that that was entirely them because they're they're younger than me too, so they were like bigger fans of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so they they put their own touches into it. I mean, this sliding Marvel scale is going to do. Uh, a disaster for Jonah when he starts sliding into where his newspaper was never successful. I know. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do in like you know, 20 years. They're really screwed. At least it wasn't like the Daily Telegraph. Like uh, they've, they've, they gave themselves a couple extra decades. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, re- I really, I really love the arc and also the Flash Thompson's talking to each or, um, uh, modern Spider-Man talking to old Flash, uh, young past time travel. <laughs> <Flash>. Confusing. Yeah, <laughs> future Spider-Man talking to past Flash Thompson was also satisfying. Yeah, because that's that's another character who so many things have happened to him. Like that is just it's bonkers. Yeah. Well, one thing we've noticed in going through these issues is how cruel the world is to Peter Parker in the Ditko issues. Oh, yeah. Like, it makes for a good, powerful story. Uh, You know, the world's against him. He has to overcome it. It helps get stakes up very high. But it means that all these bad guys are crazy. Like Kevin and I have pointed out many times, here's one of your classmates. His uncle was murdered and less than two months later, you are just relentlessly bullying him because he likes a book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's like zero empathy from the high school. His now, in aunt, a way, is, on a, his aunt is dying. His uncle just died all within months. The teacher also have like no patience for him. They're like, pay attention. Parker. Yeah. He's the top. Yeah, he's a top student, but the minute he drifts off, even for a second, they scream at him. Yeah, yeah, it was it was tricky in our arc. Um, like I wrestled a lot with because um, Flash at some point, you know, says it, you know, this like Peter goes through uncles like crazy. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it was like, it's such a mean line, but it's so in keeping with him in the Ditko issues. But like, yes, yes. he also had to immediately regret it in mine. So there's like some sort of humanity there. Like, yeah, the cruelness of a child, but also like, you know, you temper it with kind of a more modern take. Yeah, the future good yeah. flash has to be in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Yeah, that line was, there, there, line I was don't great. Like, there were a lot of tricky parts to, to writing those particular issues, but um, it's they're really great stories. And the inter uh, I'm trying to dance around a spoiler thing here, but the interaction between future Spider Man and past Aunt May was also really great. I found that like really moving, and uh, I I loved it. I mean, it was a really oh, it's it's a great uh, it's a great sequence. Ah, <laughs> so. 
uh, with that, why don't we get into issue 23, the subject hey, let's of our episode. Do it. Let's, let's go through it. Um, this is called The Goblin and the Gangsters, and we've had a run of... We've already made it. Well, we've made a mistake already. The cover told us not to waste a minute. Oh, yeah. We've got to see Spidey in action. We've wasted a number of minutes. That's true. I love that old, these old comics, Stanley is constantly admonishing you for doing yeah, anything other than getting the next ish. Yeah, you fucked up as a reader like several <laughs> times, according to Stanley. Uh, I, I, and then he, he, he also apologizes for every page that doesn't have a fight on it, basically. <laughs> I love the cover of this one um, because the machinery is just so like vague. Like, no idea where they are, what's going on. The webbing makes no sense. Yeah, there's several laws of physics being broken on this cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah just just enough machinery to have plenty of bars for Spider-Man to grab onto. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think one of the things we pointed out in my um, in the in the time travel arc was just how the Green Goblin makes no sense as a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can call it like an iguana. That has like pumpkins. I mean, I mean, Ditko was visual style first. We'll figure out the reason why later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He looks cool on a glider. These pumpkin bombs are kind of fun. Stan, you figure it out. He went to like Halloween adventure, like after Halloween and just bought everything on sale. Just yeah. whatever they had. Like are his Halloween. ears are his ears like three times as big in this issue as they have been? They got bigger, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the, the goblin glider is super flexible too, I'm noticing on the cover. I never took note of that before. Oh yeah, it sort of yeah. folds up on itself. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Um like how he became Spider-Man's top bad guy, I have no idea. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's just that first storyline, I think, with Ramita. Yeah. yeah. Um, um it's also, also his competition was like Dr. Octopus and the lizard, I guess, or whatever. <laughs> I guess weird. they're all he so is, weird. He's more vicious, right? Like he seems like a lot of these guys are just after bags of money. But the goblins similar to the Joker in a Batman series, he just looks like a psychopath. Like he yeah. the way he's drawn, he look he's got these huge crazy eyes. So that he does seem like he would murder Spider-Man for fun. I mean, a- yeah. after his movie making scheme, he does get more vicious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his debut is I insane. I forgot about his yeah, his movie making uh, debut. The cover's There's fun. All- this the, oh, go ahead. I, mean, Chip. I, I will say too with um with the Spider-Man and his rogues uh, gallery, um it's the first time I remember noticing when I was younger the the rule of primary colors for the hero, secondary colors for the villains. Like, oh, I never knew this. All of Spider-Man's villains are like green, purple, orange. Ooh, that's the combination. Spider-Man. Oh, I love this. Blue. Somebody tell Malcolm Gladwell. There's a whole book to be had out of this. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a thing, and that's why like the Hulk um, is like kind of villainous. Like when he, yeah, he's secondary colors because he, yeah, he's purple and purple and green. Yeah, but like you think of Superman, you think of Batman, but then you think of the Joker or like even Lex Luthor when he has like his super costume, like this green, yeah, and purple. or Brainiac is secondary colors. Yeah, the most common yeah. looks for these characters fall into those rules very easily. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Doom, green, Galactus, purple. Like, Ooh, but yeah, the, the Spider-Man's really, it's super evident just because he, Spider-Man is red and blue. Yeah. And all of his villains kind of fall into the... But he's uh, red and blue because he's a spider. Of course. The common spider colors. <laughs> the classic spiders of a spider, yeah. Um, exactly. I never thought about that, but I guess that makes sense. Then if you have your 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 antagonist and protagonist in a panel together, they would complement well. You got your primary over here and you're sort of, that's really cool. Yeah. And it, hey, this episode's already worth it for me. <laughs> should, <laughs> should we wrap it up or? Uh, yeah, yeah, let's done. go one more page. Let's go one more page. Yeah, yeah okay. We okay so page one. This splash page, I love, well, we're not even by the splash page. I love this splash page. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I almost always like the splash pages better than the covers and I think I feel that way here too. I miss, I miss the idea of like the first page just being a, a summer summary of the issue that yeah. you're about to read. Yeah, you're not allowed like to do it's that. A second, it's a second cover. Like, it doesn't make any sense, yeah. but I think it's just like the time, there wasn't a lot of time to produce the book, so it's like easier to do this page. Yeah, it's a wasted page story-wise, but when when like six things yeah. happen every page back in this era, I guess you could you could lose it. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, our, our page one of the story, Goblin, as always, has gathered a group around him to tell them a vague scheme which and that's been his that's that's what he's always doing as we've seen him so far in these comics he's got an ego he's always convinced everyone's going to bow in line with him and he really hasn't done anything yet no and he's also like just he's standing on a goblin glider in the middle of <laughs> yeah, the room he's on yeah. the floor <laughs> yeah which he yeah, flew in somehow and just came to a landing and stood in front of a desk very politely 
(laughs) in his goblet mask. (laughs) And his plan is that they should just stop what they're doing, which I assume is a successful crime syndicate, and just let Mm. him run it. That's his plan. Here's just let me be in charge. Look, it's basically um, the Joker scene in Dark Knight Returns when he yeah. busts into that meeting of all the gangsters or whatever. Yeah. And then stabs that guy with a pencil. Oof. Except he throws a pumpkin. <laughs> yeah, and, just and, as scary. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't even hurt them. Like, that's the other thing. It kind of, they kind of cover their eyes. Yeah, it's just, you got it. This is a pre... Pre-CGI era, people are in this world are impressed with stunts. They're just like, ooh, the visual display. Yeah, he, sparks come yeah. out of his fingers, smoke come out of his pumpkins. It's like, I don't know, steer clear of this guy. Yeah. Um, so Goblin lays down his threat. You should let me be in charge. They're skeptical. He flies away. And then the, he leaves just before the cops show up and... And a reporter. Yeah. Cops and a reporter with a press tag in his hat enter, but they can't bust the gang, right? Because the gang's not doing anything at this moment or something. Yeah, they're just hanging out. Yeah, they just came in because the goblin flew out their window and they thought that was a little suspicious. I I I think they're right. I'm glad the cops are checking up on that. I'm glad that nobody, there's no, nobody's impressed with technology in this town. Just be like, how does that glider work? Like when I first saw those little like hover things, the two wheeled hover in real life, I was like stunned by them. But a guy flies out a window on a pliable glider and people are like, let's go talk to the dudes in the suits. Yeah, that, that, that was always the weird thing about these uh, these old issues is why would Green Goblin want to be the king of crime when he could be the king of flying instruments? Yeah. Like, yeah, he, he could he could make so much money selling those. Almost every supervillain was turning down lots of money and in inventions to rob yeah. a couple bags of diamonds. <laughs> um, so the story is set up. Goblin wants the mob to turn over to him, but they won't do it. So that's sort of our villain story set in motion. And then we cut back to Peter. He's got his own uh, well, big arc going. Be- before you go to Peter, yes, let's point out the guy in the top right corner yes. who's, who's so upset about this, his cigar just popped in half. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's such a it's such a weird visual because it's not even it doesn't look like he's crushing it or anything. He's just kind of casually talking, and his cigar is just uh, popping. His name is Lucky Lobo. That's his name. <laughs> he's the head of the mob. Yeah. He looks sort of like a lot of mobsters we've seen so far in the in the Ditko era. Yep. And um, but we've never seen him before this issue, right, Kevin? No, we've never seen him before. He also talks a little bit like Stanley just got out of a gangster movie. He's like, we're clean here. See, we got rid of him. <laughs> um, yeah, he snaps a cigar. Uh, then we see Goblin talking to the reader, basically about <laughs> yeah, his right. and then flies away. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I really do love these comics, but it is dangerous to go over them with somebody because then you're really faced with how insane a lot of it is. Like, <laughs> but I, it's yeah. it's sort of like watching an old movie. Like you just weirdly acclimate and forgive the conventions of the era. Yeah. Yeah, they they were produced so fast too. Like it's not there's there's not a lot of rhyme or reason to the production of these books. I'm pretty sure. And there also were just there were fewer people giving notes on it or something. Like Stan was the writer and the editor. He and Ditko did it, and then it just went. But also, he's like kind of the writer because like Ditko would just draw the book and give it to Stan, and then Stan would make try to make sense of it and write all the dialogue. That's right. Especially at this time, Ditko is producing it pretty much without even consulting Stan. Yeah, I think, I mean, between Dicko and Kirby, like, they were both, like, just off doing their own things based on, like, one sentence from Stan. Stan, like he's my pal. <laughs> yeah, um, our good friend Stan. And, and then, yeah. and then, you know, and then like, Stan Lee would come in and just overwrite every panel, like, telling you what's happening in the panel, even though the art shows what's happening, like, to put his mark on it. Like, it's pretty crazy but, how over-the-top these are. Yes, yeah. I sometimes talk to myself now, and I wonder if it's because of comics like this. <laughs> uh, seeing that I thought it was acceptable as a child. Uh, but also I think like, um, I think like I've heard Ditko and Kirby often wrote some dialogue in on the pa- panel edges and yeah, and like wrote yeah. what was going on sometimes where it's like flipping a switch to activate antimatter ray or whatever. Yeah. Cause there's obviously there'd be things happening in the visuals that you, you wouldn't actually know what they are. Yeah. So you'd have to give, they'd have to give the notes to Stan just so he understands like what's, what's, What's happening here? Um, so let's see. Now we're Peter's at home and is, he's sleeping in because it's the weekend. And his current crisis is that his costume is wet, right? Yeah, he washed it and it has not dried yet. Uh, and that's that's so he, his big issue. For, that's his big problem for the first few pages of the story. Yeah. Uh, I love stuff like that, though. Like that is classic too. early Spider-Man. Like Superman doesn't have to worry about his costume being in the cleaners. 
Yeah, it's hard to kind of like, it's hard to imagine it now, but at the time, there was nothing like this. Yeah. Like, absolutely nothing like this. Yeah, this is the Astro City of 1965. Yeah, they'd have to clean costumes. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it was was mind-blowing. He talks to his Aunt May. She's concerned because he's been staying out too late lately, and that's upsetting her, and she's reminding him that he can't do that. Last issue, he got grounded because he uh, went to the Masters of Menace fight Mm -hmm. instead of calling Aunt May. I love it. I've I've never understood why Aunt May is so old. Yeah. Like, she, she can't possibly be his aunt. Yeah, she's his great aunt, minimum. Gotta be great aunt, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so Peter has sort of his array of typically just everyday problems. He's got to get his costume dry. His aunt is mad at him for staying out too late. And now he's reading in the Daily Bugle that the goblin seems to be acting like a hero. Yeah, and also Ned Leeds yeah. is writing letters to Betty Brant, so uh, lots of bad stuff are happening from Europe. <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's 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 the thing that tips him off. Like, what? Betty's got a letter from Europe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who knows what country? I don't have time to look up what countries are in Europe right now. <laughs> also, is he he's spying on her? He just grabs the envelope off her desk to check it out, right? Like, this is the equivalent of her, she's yeah. logged into her email and he like sees what's in the inbox real quick. Yeah, he's a, he's a creep. <laughs> I will say this though. He's dressed pretty normal. Yeah, is this kind of the period where he like starts to look a bit cool? Uh, I mean, this is the very first this issue. Time we've seen all him blue not suits. I think this is the very first time we've seen him look anything like a normal dresser. Yeah. Here's something. Um, okay, so Ned Leeds is writing Betty Brant. That is Peter's rival for his affections with Betty, so he's concerned. And then also, J. Jonah Jameson is talking to a new reporter who Peter recognizes. You know, an old reporter that he's hiring back, actually. This is uh, Frederick Foswell, the original big man. (laughs) Head of the enforcers, originally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Did he go to journalism school in between? He was a reporter before, I think, right? He was a reporter before. Okay. He was was a reporter who was secretly the big man. I guess he went to jail for the two or three months it's been, and now he's out and working for the newspaper again. Yeah, convicted of being a big man. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, since since violence is so limited in these issues, you can be convicted of running an entire crime syndicate and just go to jail for three months because all you did was (laughs) grab attache cases full of jewels. Like you didn't commit any violence, so it's like, well, you can go. Like so many of these issues show the criminals getting out on uh, on time, not escaping, just like being having done their time. And it's it's crazy to think these criminals were just released on their own. All superhero comics, especially in the '60s, I think without meaning to, are basically fascist. They're basically saying the system is broken, cops and jails cannot be trusted, so you need vigilantes to run in the streets in order for good stuff to happen. Like it's almost in order to justify a superhero being a good guy, you have to show that the prisons don't work. Yeah, yeah. I, I learned and this then, watching yeah. the first Dirty Harry movie recently. Like Clint, it's a they go <laughs> way over the top to show that the cops are soft and weak and like protecting. The criminals' rights over citizens. So Clint Eastwood has no choice but to become a rogue, shoot everything cop. And when I saw it, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's like a superhero story." <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, all the all the basic kind of storytelling ideas from these early superhero stories, um, like things were just out of necessity. Yeah. Like, of course, they just had to like be released from jail because you need them to fight them again. Yeah. And of course, the cops aren't doing their job, or else we don't have a comic. Yeah. Um, it's only later, like. In which you're like, oh man, this 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 is not a, a world that you want to live in. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't until, guys in, until Frank Miller started doing comics in the '80s when he's like, I'm just going to take this up a notch and uh, <laughs> I'll put Batman in a future dystopian Gotham City, and uh, it, it's going to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's a thing I wrestle with a lot when I'm writing these stories. It's just like, um, if if there was a guy who could like throw cars swinging overhead, just looking for people to beat up, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Like, would I, would I be cool with it? <laughs> like, Batman's, Batman's the one people bring up all the time because it's, like, basically a rich dude who has, like, a fetish yeah. outfit yeah. That, that goes out and beats up the poor. Like, that's his entire shtick. Spider-Man is a bit more a man of the people, but it's still creepy. Yeah, he's so yeah. powerful, and he often complains, yeah. like, ah, no crime, I'm bored. But that's where the sense of humor comes in. Like, actually, in your story, Chip, there's at one point where modern and past Spider-Man have done have rounded up some crooks and the cops show up and they're like, 
don't move. And they go, nah, and just like jump out the window to like swing away, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's the, how it was done. And the fact that it's like a nah just makes it seem like it, it keeps it fun. It's like, yeah, these are good guys. They're not going to do anything bad. They're, you know, it's it's fun. Like it is sort of a sleight of hand trick that I'm that I'm glad works. Yeah, yeah it's, it's casual vigilantism. Yeah. <laughs> An older Spider-Man is having fun beating up on all his villains back when they were easier villains. Yeah. Uh, can enjoy it now. Uh, okay, so what do we got here, Kevin? So Frederick Foswell is out of jail and now he's working for the Bugle. Yeah, Jonas rehired him and he thinks it's going to make him look like a good guy for hiring this former crime boss. <laughs> uh, Peter then uh, talks to Betty, hoping she'll mention the letter from Europe. She does not. Uh-oh, and that's a sign, Peter thinks, that this Ned Leeds thing is something serious. Yeah. <laughs> Though I, I like that Betty's thought right after is, oh dear, I forgot to tell him about Ned's letter. Yeah, so like what yeah. what is going on? Why? I mean, back in the 60s, you had to like legally tell everyone the mail that you received. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, yeah, Peter also gets mad. He's like, I know Ned Leeds. Why didn't she mention it? It's like, I don't know. He didn't write you, Peter. Yeah. Uh, I also, I got, I've got one more thing here, okay. which is uh, on page five, panel six. Betty goes, why no? I guess I must lead a rather dull life, Peter. And he <laughs> says, okay, bet. I'll check with you later. She goes, so long, Peter. Like, so robotic. I never, I never say anyone's name when I'm talking to them. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody does it ever. It's, it's one of the things in comics that, like, you always have to find a new way to have somebody say the name of a character. Yeah, because there needs to know the name of the character. Yeah. But in real life, like, I've got friends who, if I'm talking to them, like, I've never called them by their yeah. name. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, I'll see you later. Like, I'm not, I'm not yeah, because not we have That's later, fair. Peter. <laughs> yeah, well, one panel before what you just said, Peter thinks to himself, "Oh, there's Betty now," and then says, "Hi, Bet." <laughs> it seems so robotic. <laughs> There is Betty. Again. Hi, Betty. Betty says Peter three panels in a row. <laughs> so Peter wants to tail Foswell, but he doesn't have his costume because it's drying in his attic. Yep. So he's having a he's having a rough day. I love it. Can I can I just say like for uh, Dicko is so good at creating distinct characters. Like even though Foswell is pretty much J. Jonah Jameson, <laughs> he looks completely different. He does. Yeah, he's, like, he's got he's got all the features of J. Jonah Jameson, but like he somehow managed to make him not look like him. Oh yeah, you're right. His his face is a little smaller, so like he's got kind of like a weaker chin situation yeah. and like he's got that hat yeah god he really does he could look maybe, a lot like jay maybe they're related maybe maybe that's why he rehired him yeah, it's like a cousin go. or a brother it's like a craven chameleon situation um so now what's going on with goblin kevin he's he's still trying to right work out how to get into with the mob or something so yeah he has gotten a list from somebody who works for uh uh what's the guy's name lobo uh, uh lucky, lucky lobo. lobo lucky lobo has one of his men has given the goblin a list of like all their big rackets so the goblin can break them up to sort of end that crime reign and take over for a, a lucky lobo he's given him fi- somebody's brought him financial information so he yes, can like bust right. him to the irs just like uh, al capone yeah, like yeah. he can get the irs to bust up this guy but goblin's just going to smash those operations to scare Lucky Lobo into quitting so he can take over. What do we think of the picture of Goblin panel six on page six when he's sort of like got his hand draped over his face? I mean, I love it. <laughs> it's great. It's so good. Really good. I mean, the, the Goblin mask, I have so many questions about because it's a latex mask that has complete functionality on his face. It's, yeah. it's the world's most expressive mask. Yeah, it's so great. Um, I like I like the other guy as well. Like the fact that oh, he's yeah. like not at all phased by this guy. Yeah. It's business as window. usual. And he's got that. Like, yeah, do- he's got that. Dit- <laughs> the Ditko pattern on his hat. He's- <laughs> yeah, he picked it up at the Sanctum Sanctorium. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, that guy looks just unfazed by the fact that he's standing in the room with a guy in a crazy costume. <laughs> yeah, I wish for Halloween I could dress up as a Ditko like uh, stool pigeon um, except that the only people who would even have a chance of knowing what my costume was is you two so I, I can't do that yeah. but uh, that would be my favorite costume so what's going on your up? face doesn't have enough lines on it well I don't know if you'd get away with it I would be draping my fingers all over my face like you wouldn't believe like people would have it, <laughs> and I'd walk around with clouds of smoke like billowing around <laughs> me um, before we move on can I just point out that at the top of the page I love the fact that Peter Parker is just like he does not believe that uh, criminals could be rehabilitated. <laughs> no, yeah. nope. Yeah, nope. I don't find it. something. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, Frederick Foswell is one of the rare exceptions to that yeah. in his early goings. Yeah, he would. Be, Every time someone be breaks right, out, most given the their 
Yeah. I mean, Doc Ock has been released, the Enforcers have been released, and the clown of the circus of crime have all been released and given their their whatever costumes, and they've all immediately gone back to crime. The Beetle? The Beetle as well. That's very recently. The Beetle was and the, given his giant armor because there's no law against it. And the vulture was and immediately the vulture was doing well, but then he just flew out of the yard. <laughs> yeah, right. The vulture escaped by flying out. The one thing they didn't think the vulture would do. The vulture escaped. How? He flew out. <laughs> Um, okay, so what is going? J. Jonah Jameson is at something called the Midtown Business Executives Club. Yeah, you've never been. Uh, I don't know. This is the same comic that's introduced me to State U, uh, and um, it's just like the generic New York City. No, I've never been to that Executives Club. I, uh, no, you got you got to go. Bunch of guys with cigars. Frederick Oswell shows up to give Jameson that he has info. What about Goblin? Actually, I got to be honest, the plot loses me here. It's becoming sort of like Michael Clayton. I can't. (laughs) He has the list that the goblin had. So this is where I think he's trying to make you think that Foswell is the goblin. Because they mention at some point in the story that no one knows who the goblin is. And now the goblin has this list. Now Foswell has that same list and he gives it to J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, I see. So it's like a bait and switch. We're supposed to think that this is the goblin. I mean, there's nothing in this issue that tells you otherwise. And I think they're like, you know, it's when I saw Unbreakable, the uh, second um, M. Night Shyamalan, M. Night Shyamalan movie. I sat behind somebody who said to their friend, like while they were watching, like, "Oh, I bet Bruce Willis is a ghost in this movie." I wish that was true. That would have been an amazing twist, actually. <laughs> no one would have seen it coming. The exact same ending. <laughs> <laughs> and they were sincere. They really thought it was true. Uh, they were wrong. Um, he was unbreakable. <laughs> oh yeah. So but yeah. So if Foswell ended up being the goblin, it would be the same exact reveal. Um, okay. So now Peter gets his costume back. It's dry. So now he is Spider Man. And what he swings around and immediately sees a crime, and he needs photos to sell to Jameson. He's about to go in, but then he sees the goblin stop the crime first. That's got to confuse you. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. I'm telling you, this is one of the more complicated <laughs> Ditko issues plot-wise. Usually it's guy wants a bag of money, beats up Spider-Man successfully, and then Spider makes a, Spider-Man makes a 1% adjustment and then beats the crap out of him. But now we have like double crosses and possible identities, yeah. and I had, there's like an IRS scam that's been proposed. It's, I can't keep track. Yeah, it's quite complicated. The Goblin was close to being a hero in this issue. He does a lot of good. Great shot of Spider-Man's butt in uh, panel four, though. <laughs> it's yeah you know, for the ladies. <laughs> Get them reading. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I didn't notice that. Yeah, he, he is sort of diving away that. from the panel there. Yeah, his weird Spider-Man angles and poses are. I mean, do you feel weird admiring a seventeen-year-old boy's butt? Uh, not the artist of sex criminals. He's sex positive. As long as he's doing it in a consensual, <laughs> loving way, then it's then it's fine. All right, all right, good. Well, um, when he puts the costume on, he's Spider Man. Like, yeah, man, man is right there in the name. Yeah, yeah. He ages up a little bit. He's like he's like twenty three in the costume. Okay, I think that's, that's one right. of his spider powers. Yeah. He's got the proportionate age of a spider too. Yeah. Um. So he's tailing Goblin, and then Goblin flies into Lucky Lobo's headquarters. This I actually love this shot on page nine, panel five, where the Goblin just comes into the window, throwing two pumpkin bombs as he enters. Yeah. I love it. Casual. Yeah, it's it's a great shot. (laughs) Yeah, it's beautiful. And he's doing this to lure Spider-Man in so Spider-Man can do all the fighting for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which Spider-Man does. He goes in and he had a cool little action sequence on page 10 where he makes quick work of Lucky Lobo's muscle. Ditko's doing more of these panels too. Panel six on page nine where it's like nothing really there. It's just sort of like... As if the action just left the panel. Yeah. We've seen like more panels of just like Spider-Man's hand coming in. Uh, I wonder if it's just a workload issue. Like he's just been doing this every month now for like three or four years. Yeah. Like uh, he worked a lot with like the nine panel grid and those are super tight. So you can kind of, you can get away with stuff like that a bit more. I mean, it looks great. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if it was like a bigger panel, it would be more apparent that there's nothing really in it. Yeah. But here it's just sort of like a little, a little break in the density, actually. It's like kind of... Yeah. It's a splash of color. It looks great. Yeah. We have a fight for the next two pages, and I love it. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a great fight. Yeah. Yeah. Did not bother to put detail in that webbing, so it does not look correct. No, no. It's it's a little semen-y. Yeah, it's Um, it's very gloopy. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. You know, you're right, Chip, that Ditko's 
drawings are so dense and the layout is dense that one thing that's nice about the fights is they kind of simplify. Like a lot of times yeah. it's just Spidey doing like a flip and one other person in the panel as opposed to like a whole crowd. But so many weird little additional things like panel four when he swings his fist back, like the lines go just outside of the panels. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like it's a weird, it's a weird choice. Like in, instead of having them inside, like. Oh, yeah. I love that. On page I do 10. That. Yeah. I've read I've read that Ditko liked less motion lines and that sometimes other people would go in and put them in. I don't know how true that is. Yeah, that might be what happened. And I don't know if that's what happened there, but I've definitely heard that he would get mad when Stan had people go back in and like add motion lines. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. There there there's strange things that are only seen in comics. Yeah. Like 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 I try like when I'm doing uh art on a book. I try to not put motion lines in because I think I'm I'm too influenced by movies. Like everything has to be a frozen moment. Okay, you have to get you have to get across the action in the action itself and not rely on lines to tell people. Yeah, it's sort of that this it's like happen. cheating almost. Yeah, yeah, but it's such it's such a part of the language of comics. Like like I find them really fun, especially in stuff like this. Yeah, they work, right? It's like you know, sweat marks or something. Of, yeah, the shot of him jumping up to the ceiling in panel five there. Like there's the line from the feet on the diagonal. There's the straight the vertical lines of him going straight up. And then there's like the the tiny lines indicating he's made contact with the ceiling. Oh, yeah. And it all works. Like that's a lot. Yeah. And it helps convey that. I don't know what that would look like if he was just sort of hanging there, if it would be clear he just jumped up there. I think it would would, but you you would still get it because the guy's throwing a punch at a thing that's not there but it be because it's part of the language they just automatically yeah it underlines it really well um why don't we jump to the end of this fight because we have something that's insane happens that i really love uh, i'm jumping ahead to page 12 uh, wait uh, but page 11 also has that great thing where he's webs him on the back and throws him on the wall too that's a great little oh yeah yeah, yeah. we haven't uh, seen that yet yeah. yeah, and Spider-Man tells us we haven't seen that yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. This seems He's like a good... Yeah, yeah, Stan leaves nothing to the imagination. You yeah. will absolutely notice every beat of this story. Yeah. I'm surprised there's yeah. a caption that says, that's right, readers, a brand new move for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. So this fight is great. He does some great stuff with his webbing. And then page 12, it's such a great sequence here. I just posted this on our Instagram account for Mother's Day. Because yeah. I thought it was a great um, Mother's Day moment for Peter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He gets into a room by himself. He webs the door shut to temporarily delay Lucky Lobo's gang from getting in there. So he, for a moment, he's alone in a room. Yeah. And then he calls his Aunt May to let him know he'll be out late. And she's relieved. The panel where he is on the phone and you just see the door being pounded on in the background is wonderful. It's so good because he's so casual. It's so, yeah. Panel six at page 12. Yeah, just leg, legs crossed, chatting on the phone. It, it reinforces how little threat normal thugs are to him. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, uh, also, I love his costume in that when he's just sitting there casually. Um, yeah. One of my favorite uh, illustrators is Jaime Hernandez of uh, Love and Rockets. And yeah, yeah. I've read interviews with him where he raves about Ditko. And he's like, oh, yeah, Ditko's clothes. Like you, all the fabric in a Ditko comic like looks incredible. Yeah. Um, like all these guys suits, the way they're bunching up when they're trying to bang the door down is like is considered. Yeah. And he, he switches between, you know, like this fine line and then clearly like this weird thick brush. To get to get the folds, like and you see, like in panel two, that guy's suit jacket as he hits the door, like they're really thick lines. Yeah. Even Aunt May, like the creases in her outfit, yeah. are really like thick, bold lines. I mean, it, it makes every, just, it makes everything feel very moody to me. It feels like very film noir in a way, even though it's a color story. I think Ditko yeah. just never, rarely, at least, uh, didn't give it his all. Because uh, I'm even reading the stuff he did after Marvel right now where he wasn't getting paid anything. And the stuff's just as detailed and specific. Um, okay, so Spider-Man finishes up his phone call to Aunt May. The guys successfully burst in and Spidey pretends to be giving up. He raises his arms and mock surrender. Yeah. And then somehow he gets uh, his webbing to drop off the ceiling on top of them. Yep. Yeah, he's had a, there's a web waiting for them on the ceiling and it and he's i guess just timed the dissolve rate so that it falls right when they walk in or something that's that's how you're justifying that <laughs> I, I don't know how else to do it <laughs> part of it dissolves but the rest of it doesn't it it doesn't make sense sometimes it's, yeah, it's really funny because like the the fight scene before like it's so well plotted and planned out 
like his moves all kind of work and um, Dicko finds like new and interesting ways for him to fight these guys. And then a page like this will come along and like, and you'd be like, what? <laughs> Weird. Yeah. But his net didn't catch a uh, lucky Lobo. Yeah. He gets the henchman, but not Lobo, right? Oh no. Not, Lobo's not caught in the net. That's right. So it's just Spider-Man versus the leader here for the end. Um, And he gets him pretty quick, and the Lobo reveals that the Goblin has been trying to take over the gang all along. Right. So now Spidey knows that Goblin is, in fact, still evil, is not trying to break up the mob, but take it over, which must be a relief to him. And so now he's after the Goblin. It affirms everything he believes about crime, that they never get, it never goes away. Yes. The message of the comic is people don't get better, and Spidey goes to beat up the (laughs) Goblin, uh... Because uh, he deserves it, so he chases after Goblin, and they what? They go into. Do we even say what this place is? He go. They, he chases him into a building with all those vague machines. Yeah. Well, he jumps on the Goblin's back. Yeah. First, and then rides the Goblin into the weird machine room. Sometimes they'll ju- sometimes they'll say what it is. You know, like oh, here we are in an art museum, or like oh, this you know condemned building will be a good place to finish this off. But now it's just room of pipes. Yeah, yeah, in like in like Midtown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a real, yeah, this, it's a very they, they steampunk they room. This but this fight's great, man. We have another great like Ditko battle, like just great physicalities of Spidey jumping all over the place and doing somersaults. More giant ceilings. Oh man, to get those ceilings in Manhattan, that must be great. <laughs> it's like three stories. Yeah, Marvel Comics, the two big crazy assumptions of 60s Marvel Comics is one, radiation will always give you superpowers. And two, every room in Manhattan has 20 foot ceilings. Chip, when you're writing an action sequence uh, for Spider-Man or a Marvel 2-in-1, um, how do you, how much do you just... How much do you just frame it out for the artist and how much do you kind of go for it and go into the details of the stuff? It depends on the artist. Um, when I was doing Star-Lord, the artist on that, Chris Anka, uh, when he came on board, he had two things he wanted for me. He wanted um, a lot of shirtless scenes <laughs> and he wanted to choreograph his own fight scene. Oh, okay. that's cool. So I, I would basically have to like give him kind of the setup, the beginning of the fight scene. If anything had to happen during that fight scene, I'd lay it out for him. And basically, I tell him where the characters have to end up by the end of it. And he deliver like just amazing uh, fight scenes. Um, I think a lot of writers should learn to get out of their artist's way with stuff like that yeah. because the artists are better at visualizing it than the writers are, for sure. Yeah, I would think that this is the thing that where Ditko and Kirby's freedom just let them really have fun with the action because they're not worried about story beats here. The story beats can be laid on afterwards. Yeah, and they're less worried about kind of the physical layouts of the rooms, clearly. Um, <laughs> like, like I think more in modern comics, like um, I did an issue of Spider-Man that was... Uh, it was kind of like Die Hard. It was like Peter having to get through an apartment building. Ooh. Oh, yes, yes. As, as the cops were coming for him. Right, as Peter. Yeah, exactly. So not to ruin his identity, but still find a way out. Um, so something like that, I had to map out the building. I had to like draw floor plans for the building to make sure that everything kind of lined up. Um, next, modern- next time you have an issue like that, I think just change the story and just have him walk out. It'll save yourself yeah. some work. Yeah, or just put him in, in this clearly crazy building <laughs> where uh, yeah. pipes and walls don't matter. Right. Uh, yeah, so modern, modern comics, you have to think about it a bit more yeah. because uh, readers are trained to uh, double check. Yeah, well, they're just smarter. Stuff. I mean, it's just like, you know, television has to be more nuanced and think through everything. Like the, the medium was younger in the 60s. Just the yeah. fact that Spider-Man had some emotional depth was like a huge leap forward for the medium yeah. so that's that was the accomplishment of these issues oh he's got a home life yeah and you oh you his got, costume is wet yeah yeah <laughs> yeah right and there's new battles to fight these days i think the, the biggest challenge of modern superhero comics is just the fact that there is so much history like mm-hmm. how do you make a surprising story that is still faithful but not too burdensome like the gymnastics that have to be performed of modern plots it, yeah. it really impresses yeah. me. I mean, you so rarely in Marvel or DC get to start with a blank canvas. And that is something yeah. these guys didn't have to worry about at all. No, no. And like they were, it felt like they're creating whole new worlds with every issue. Yeah. Like like all of Spider-Man's like major villains came from the first, what, like 10 issues? Yeah, they got it. They laid it out pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Let's. I, I kind of feel like we should just jump ahead a little bit. Like Peter fights the Goblin, but he get but Goblin gets away. Uh, yes, Goblin gets away to home to listen to his radio. 
<laughs> and then uh, Peter heads to the bugle, and he's very suspicious of Foswell, and we the reader are also. Peter gets yelled at by Jameson for not having photos. He and Betty sort of like, they kind of just, I mean, rightfully so. Peter went to that place to take photos and he didn't do it. Yeah. Sometimes Jameson is right to yell at Peter. Like there are times when it's like, that is crazy. Like sometimes you're able to take a million photos by hanging a camera in one second. And sometimes you forget to do it. It is a little odd. It is uh, bonkers. Like I worked at a newspaper for 13 years. The fact that the publisher would talk to the 15 year old freelance. (laughs) (laughs) Just like as much as Jameson does. He he micromanages this operation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of crazy. He's involved. Like you don't picture the publisher, the New York times on the floor being like, where's my daily freelancer. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, as far as we know, there's a staff of four people, right? Frederick Foswell, Ned Leeds, who's in Europe, Betty and Peter. Yeah, I mean, realistically, there are probably like six staff photographers that just fucking hate Peter. Oh, yeah. They must just uh, must yeah. be the worst. Because he just shows up and aces them out. Yeah, this kid walks in straight into the publisher's office. It would be very funny if in the background there's a staff of photographers and they're just shouting, he's Spider-Man. That's how he's doing it. There's no other way. Is anybody listening? He's (laughs) Spider-Man. There's webbing Um, in the lens. (laughs) Look at him. He's out of breath, poking out from his sleeve. That's a Spider-Man costume. Also, he's a child. (laughs) It's illegal to have this person working here. Betty and Peter, we kind of touch on their story, and basically we just don't advance it right now. We don't yet know where she stands with Ned Leeds. It's very tense. Um, Peter gets home, and Aunt May is not home, and that freaks him out, but she's just next door at the Watsons, and you play on that in your story, right, Chip? Um, Peter coming home and and Aunt May not being around. Yeah, yeah, except we we put a twist on it where she is there, and she's kidnapped by the goblin. Ooh, love it. (laughs) and uh, Peter ends as he usually does in kind of a sad place. Yeah, but he. he but looking cool. He's looking cool. He's not in his blue suit. He is looking cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He's starting to figure things. I mean, look, look at him compared to like Amazing Fantasy fifteen or Spider Man one. Like he's lost the glasses. He's lost the blue suit. He's looking confident. He's becoming more rugged somehow. His yeah. hair's a little mussed up every now and then. In some panels, he looks like he's thirty five years old. Also, like he doesn't look fifteen a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. There is that. Um, no, that's our issue. Uh, I think this is a step up, Kevin, from recent ones. Yes. For, there's the uh, the pinup page right Oh, now. yes. Oh, yes. Which you really need to. Oh, yeah. This issue included a uh, pinup page, a Marvel Masterworks Spidey. And it, they would do this now and then, right? If they had an extra page, they would show like a poster or something. This is one of the most crazy pinups. It's not good. <laughs> It's not good, How, but that Spider-Man is... Um, he's menacing, right? He's... Yeah, he's creepy, scary, and it's its pretty much a Frank Miller drawing from, like, the early 80s. Like yeah. Frank Miller was figuring stuff out, this is what he was drawing. Yeah, he's a super overly inked and shadowed Spider-Man, like, majorly backlit, as if he is, like, I don't know, like, Clint Eastwood at the end of Unforgiven, like, showing up to murder everybody. Yeah, and so casual. Like, usually when you do a pinup like this, it's like, oh, it's Spider-Man in action, but it's just him just, like gently touching a wall while staring at us. Yeah. And then just like randomly placed headshots of his supporting cast all over his body. Yeah. Like that's, that Spider-Man is going to have sex with us. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's weird. Yeah. He's menacing. Yeah. He, yeah. He's like, even even the phrase, like it's like Spidey in quotes and those who've been caught in his wonderful web. Hmm. Yeah. If you had not read any Spider-Man issues and I showed you just this page, you're like, Oh, it's, um, it's about a sexual assault. Uh, it's yeah, a story yeah. of, uh, of a home invasion. It's like a funny games type of story. Yeah. Wow. It's weird. <laughs> but look at all these, it's around the edges is headshots of all the villains. <laughs> it's just bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, like it's so an impressive many of the ones that, yeah, are still being used today as his major villains. Yeah. Like, like yeah. the clown and <laughs> <laughs> The living brain. The living brain is here. Not all. (laughs) Is this one of the aliens from the Tinkerer, fourth down on the left? Yes. Yeah, right. And the Tinkerer's right above him, right? Oh, yeah. I I love that you had to, in a passage, have Peter uh, or present Peter tell past Peter, you know, oh, the Tinkerer's not an alien. Uh, We have to get past that for like like so many iterations of Tinkerer stories that don't matter for me to get to my plot point. I know. I, I feel like I just kind of I cleaned up the continuity a little bit by making Tinkerer kind of obsessed with aliens. Yes, that helps. Yeah, I thought that was interesting but when it was like Tinkerer's doing alien stuff. 
Yeah. 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 Tinkerer is a weird one. That was he was a character where like the one of the main reasons why they gave me this title was because Spider-Man Homecoming was going to be coming oh, out okay. and they needed something that uh, was kind of more New York based to kind of line up with the movie. Right. And Tinkerer was suggested to me as a villain because they knew he was going to show up. And, oh, and right. I'm like, well, I mean, the Tinker in the movie doesn't look anything like the Tinker from the comics. Yeah. yeah. And he's got to end in the movie. He's got a real story that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So that was a little bit of a challenge, but I like writing citizen characters because <laughs> Spider Man exclusively fights weird old men. Yeah, he fights a lot of old men. <laughs> <laughs> he really does. I love it. Um, I think, Kevin, that's it, right? No, I think that's everything. Uh, Chip, we just want to thank you so much for being on our podcast. Uh, we went a little long because we were excited to have you. Um, and we really love the stuff you're doing in Spectacular Spider-Man. Oh, and we would love our listeners to check it out if they're not already. Me too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, check out all of Chip's stuff. I think his Howard the Duck run is super fun. Uh, Sex Criminals um, is great. The Matt Fraction uh, uh, story. There's um, so... I think- I think the, I think the one that uh, your listeners will enjoy is um, the uh, Spectacular Spider-Man Annual that's coming up is being drawn by Mike Allred. Oh, cool! Uh, and he's awesome, and it's a, a Jonah story that takes place over decades. Ooh! So there's there's a lot of kind of old Spider-Man references and things in it that are a ton of fun. Oh, that's and a, I think, uh, a great, uh, great. That would tip. be a good one. People check out. Yeah. Um, you heard it here first, people. Check out that annual. No, um, I've been saying it to a lot of people in yeah, other places first as well. Yeah, exclusive recommendation. Yeah, that's not this yeah. annual slipped through the cracks. No one knew it was being released. Marvel's here not it promoting comes. it except for Chip's Heavily recommendation right here. Um, <laughs> this this podcast will be released next week after it's released. Yeah, <laughs> really interesting and subtle advertising campaign. I guess the day it's released, if it's next Wednesday. I, I don't know when it's released. All right, well, well soon. Run out and get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, if you don't see it, trash the comic book shop you're in and demand it. Yeah, and say, uh, this is the fault of Chip Zdarsky. <laughs> yeah, let them know. Yeah. Let them know who sent yeah. you. Yeah. And um, everybody, uh, everyone who's listening, thanks so much for uh, for tuning in. And next episode, we'll go over issue 24 with Mysterio. And, yeah, uh, that's a good one. And, we, uh, and as uh, hinted earlier, we might have uh, Joe uh, and nope. Jordan both on. Yeah, we're trying to get that together. We hope that works out. Yeah. And um, see you guys next episode. Bye, everybody. Yeah, thanks for listening. All right. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Campfire.